We are live from TechNet Cyber 2023. I'm Kate Macri, Deputy Editor at GovCIO Media and Research. And joining me today are Lily Zaliki, who is Deputy CIO for Information Enterprise and notably is one of the JWCC leads. And then we also have DOD Chief Software Officer Rob Vietmeyer. You're pretty new to the position, right? You joined recently. So I'm really excited to hear from both of you about what you guys are working on this year. So to start off our conversation, I would love to get a brief overview from each of you about your roles and how you're supporting initiatives such as JWCC, JADC2, and Zero Trust at the department. So Lily, you want to start? All right. Thank you so much for having us today. Um, as you said, um, I am at the DODCI, the Office of uh, DOD Chief Information Officer, uh, Deputy CIO for Information Enterprise. Um, in my portfolio, we have a variety of things. As you mentioned, JWCC is one piece, and it's a high priority because it is really part of our software modernization implementation plan and strategy implementation, which um, is really uh, bring to bear uh, enterprise cloud, accelerating enterprise cloud. And JW JWCC delivers that. Um, so we're really excited about that. The award of JWCC uh, uh, happened in December, uh, early December. And really, JWCC is a contract. So you mentioned Zero Trust. You, you mentioned JADC2. Um, and other initiatives, really, that's what JWCC enables us to do is implement the joint C2 command and control that we need, uh, the cybersecurity that we need and as modern software practices uh, like DevSecOps, which I'll let Rob get into more details uh, about. But these are the things that um, cloud um, activities enable us to do at speed and scale and uh, really enable the security piece of it. Um, in my portfolio, there's other things we do, such as um, IT portfolio management in general. Uh, defense business systems are a big part of it, defense business systems management, where um, I can tell you a lot of tech debt uh, issues that we have to deal with, which also really highlights some of the reasons why we're um, having to push from a um, cloud and the futuristic perspective. And yet we also need to make sure that uh, we're bringing our legacy capabilities uh, to to the future. Um, so we're sort of uh, uh, operate as the glue and the, the enabler uh, for that. Again, I mentioned software, so I'll let Rob uh, get into a little bit of detail um, on that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks for the opportunity here. And this is uh, a really exciting time, right, for and to be the DoD Chief Software Officer. Um, you know, we live in a in a software-defined world, and the our military capabilities are increasingly dependent upon uh, on software and our ability to to rapidly deploy uh, resilient solutions to changing mission needs to changing uh, cyber threats uh, to uh, you know to counter continue to counter our adversaries on the battle space and and we have not paid as much attention as we need to uh, to software uh, when we started. Uh, a while back with how do we drive modernization, the focus was on cloud. The focus um, 
was which was really more of the IT infrastructure. And we really need to be able to couple our IT infrastructure with delivery, continuous delivery of new capabilities. And so that's what we're trying to bring to the department. So how do we start to incorporate uh, development security in our operations teams to change the paradigm we've had in the past where we looked at production systems, and that's what we're going to secure, and that's what we're going to operate. But development was something else, right? That was a, a second-class citizen. We're now realizing that uh, to be responsive in the modern world, to uh, take advantage of AI and, and to where do we need to be, um, that development can no longer be a second-class citizen. Uh, we've seen a lot out of the uh, out of the White House and the executive orders on focusing on supply chain, secure software development, software bill of materials. Increasingly, we're starting to realize that our ability to go from concept to operations in the blink of an eye is absolutely essential to where we need to be. So it's an exciting time. Um, you mentioned uh, concepts like JWCC and Zero Trust. That is building in place the foundation that we will build this next generation um, delivery pipelines and, and, and uh, delivery capabilities from. Uh, when you talk about uh, um, JADC2, really that's the, in my mind, the joint staff has laid out this vision of where warfighting needs to be. What do we need from our military capabilities? So we're starting to build in place the, the platform for delivering, um, delivering those capabilities, enabling that JADC2 uh, from the IT perspective on, on up. Absolutely. So, Lily, my understanding is you're one of the leads for JWCC, which everyone wants to know about. Uh, what are some of the interoperability challenges you expect while juggling multiple cloud service providers, especially because when it comes to cloud modernization within DOD, we already have the Army's Enterprise Cloud Management Agency, C-Army, uh, as key liaisons in this endeavor, and then we have DISA, Hack, Navy's, Neptune, Cloud One. How are you thinking about all of that? That's an absolutely fair question and a good one, really. Um, and I would ask the same uh, if I'm looking from the outside in. So JWCC, first, let me just say it brings um, capabilities that we had gaps in, for example, tactical edge, uh, top secret uh, requirements. Uh, secret requirements. Um, we have not packaged a uh, cloud uh, vehicle in such a way that now we have unclassified, secret, top secret, multi-vendor, uh, direct access to the CSPs, which translates to, honestly speaking, to our ability to get to a commercial parity a lot more easier. Uh, but also it really um, leaves room for the integrators and others to take part uh, in this process. So why do I say that? I say that because the cloud uh, platforms that the military departments bring to the table is a critical part of it because they can purchase the cloud services and capabilities from JWCC, but ultimately they still have to implement and use cloud and apply cloud to Rob's good point to do their mission in their own way and, and uh, within uh, the context of the department's mission. So all of them, the platforms will continue to do what they're doing. I will continue to optimize for them, their military services, 
But ultimately, JWCC brings um, so much to the table where we really want to utilize it for um, at an enterprise level, um, what uh, it brings to the table, all the CSPs uh, directly, um, hyperscale uh, CSPs. With that said, um, we also, uh, this allows us to be able to now look at our cloud inventory um, as a whole uh, from an enterprise perspective, because now that the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, and all really the DAFAs, the uh, defense agencies and field activities, uh, the OSD components, everyone needs to uh, continue to migrate to the cloud. That's our objective. Um, and to do the great things that we were talking about, like DevSecOps and increasing our use of modern software practice to be able to bring to bear um, really the futuristic capabilities that we need to do the digital warfare, to be honest. That's where we are. Um, so the JWCC governance that we are continuing to work with the military departments and others to establish actually helps us. And really, it's not just JWCC, it's really all of our cloud in general, including DoD 365, other cloud purchases that we have. We need to know the inventory. We need to have good um, insight into where we are as a department and rationalize and really make some good decisions um, as we move forward and how we proceed with cloud use, cloud application, um, and really for future capabilities, um, how we're going to uh, make sure that folks are transitioning to the cloud in a way that it makes sense. Sure. So it's kind of like a framework for people to like, like guidelines for people to operate in, basically. Absolutely. We yeah. are setting guidelines. That's yeah. exactly what we're setting is guidance for the department and not just JWCC. It will be a JW, JWCC guidance, but ultimately we're going to have to look at all of our inventory and how that's going to work as it relates to us using, um, you know, to the fullest extent possible, the JWCC contract. Yeah. And I'll just add, you know, so um, having worked cloud for a long time and probably as long as the cloud's been around for, for the department, um, what people don't appreciate is, is all the work that has to go in behind the scenes, especially on our classified networks. So we're so used to the commercial cloud just being on and, and our, our, our common everyday experience. But what people don't realize is that building out that infrastructure for the cloud to actually be a military-capable platform for driving continuous innovation across all classification domains and working with all our partners, there is a lot of work that uh, that Sharon Woods and Ryan MacArthur and the whole DISA team are bringing and putting in place uh, and the JWCC vehicle gives us that, that direct relationship with our vendors to have um, a, a much more direct conversation about how we're going to get from where we are to where we need to be as uh, the Defense Department moving forward. So I'm really excited about, uh, about that work that's happening. I'm really excited also about, you mentioned the cloud management offices within the MILDAPs. There is a ton of work that needs to be done to get us from where we are today to where we need to be in the cloud. Uh, folks that that uh, maybe haven't done a cloud migration, you know, lift and shift doesn't work. Uh, the cloud is a very different environment from our traditional data centers. And if you don't appreciate those differences, you will get trapped very quickly in an inefficient, insecure 
Um, it's great when you can take advantage of those things, but you have to, that knowledge base needs to be there. And so with the military departments focusing that knowledge base on the, here, we're going to have these centers of excellence that can then uh, be a full force multiplier for how they're going to move from their legacy environment to modernize into the cloud. It's really exciting to be part of that, that partnership as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like the other piece of cloud here is the software, obviously. Rob, can you tell me a little bit about how you're working to implement the DoD software modernization strategy that was released last year, and you guys recently released an implementation plan? And I'm also interested in hearing from you about how you see software factories playing a role in all of this, okay. because I feel like they've been like a really, a really big part of helping DoD innovate faster through DevSecOps, which is a big part of the strategy too. Yeah, absolutely. So the you know the three goals for the strategy. Uh, number one was accelerating cloud. Um, number two was the software factory ecosystem, and then number three was in the the policies, procedures, the workforce, right? The the other aspects. You know what we realized from the very beginning as we had approached the problem set as just the CIO by ourselves is that we found that. Um, it's not just a technology challenge. Actually, the technology tends to be the easy piece. And so in teaming with ANS and R&E to really bring together the three superpowers to drive the department forward um, under the software modernization SSG, which uh, Ms. Saliki chairs for the, the CIO, um, has been really that you know one of those uh, uh, critical uh, force multipliers to bring the department forward because we found that uh, it, like the software acquisition pathway was a, a necessary piece to move how we acquire uh, software systems um, and other capabilities. How do we move that into the modern era? If we had continued following the traditional 5,000 approach, we wouldn't be moving at the speed we're moving. To working with ANS or R&E now with also on how do we accelerate uh, new technologies into our production systems and, and closing what's referred to as the valley of death for, uh, you know, a lot of the advanced research stuff. So that's exciting. I think the, you know, back we've been talking about the cloud, which is obviously uh, – uh, goal number one for us, JWCC, was a critical item on the implementation plan. Uh, we are now, you know, the next steps is really moving into edge computing. So how do we how do we extend what today is primarily um, a uh, CONUS-based cloud infrastructure with a few edge nodes uh, that the military departments have been bringing out themselves? How do we move the enterprise out to the edge, out to the battle space uh, to provide a, a more resilient infrastructure, more responsive infrastructure, and give us data processing and AI capabilities uh, directly within theater? So that's the, uh, a big step that we're working on right now. Um, you talked about software factories. So the, the next piece, if we move up from... Um, the cloud computing infrastructure to how, how do we actually deliver and operate systems? That's where software factories play. And I think there's been a lot of confusion because the, the factory uh, imagery that people uh, form, you think of, of, you know, folks writing software and throwing over the fence, which is really the wrong, the wrong picture. Um, the right picture is next generation system that is incorporating in a common platform, everything from development through delivery, through operations, in a, in a quick uh, feedback loop. 
So folks have said, well, how many factories do we need? You know, thinking that, oh, we only need a couple or that these factories are competing with uh, commercial industry. You know, if that's the thought, that's the wrong mindset to take into this because really these are, think of these as the next generation systems um, that are operating in a DevSecOps model that are implementing agile practices that are responsive and resilient as we move forward. Uh, I think the interesting aspect is we've, typically have built and funded systems by themselves. And now that we're finding um, we can build common platforms that can support multiple applications and the platform or factory can become a product in and of itself. And we have to recognize um, that these are critical components. We have to, you know, this drives inheritance and, and speed of application delivery. It's giving us a model for delivering um, everything from AI to zero trust. If I had to zero trust every system in the department today, that's an impossible task. But if we can have infrastructure platforms that we can zero trust enable and all of the applications that ride, reside on top of them inherit all of those controls, this is now giving us a, a, a viable approach to how do we actually move the department forward. And so when we look at the space now, if you're going to ask how many software factories do we need, well, it's it's fewer than one for every system, obviously. Uh, it's more than we have today. I think we're definitely in an expansionary phase. We are dealing with, uh, you know, the set of systems that are at the cutting edge of implementing DevSecOps and Agile delivery um, and, and helping them, learning from them. And from a CIO perspective, we're really trying to bring along the next set of fast followers and making that the uh, the default rather than um, rather than the exception, and so we have a lot of work to do. So we're we're encouraging factories. We are trying to optimize behind the scenes to make uh, factory stand up and factory op operations easier, faster. Uh, working with uh, a lot of different commercial partners. This is not a a, a DoD only or government only. Um, this is uh, involves our, our commercial industry helping us to move forward. Awesome. Did you want to add anything to that, Lily? Yeah, uh, I think the only thing I would add there is, as you, uh, you know, you said there is a lot of software factories, but I always say, uh, how many software factories? As many as you need to do the mission, right? So that's really what we're about. Um, and one thing that I would add to what Rob, you know, explained incredibly well is. We do want to make sure that we don't um, tax our software factories with mission that they weren't, you know, equipped to do. So we do want to put some sort of a guardrail standard. And that's a Robin team. Uh, the SSG is working really hard to make sure that uh, we put some sort of flexible but um, necessary guardrails so that we don't have proliferation unnecessarily of software factories, just like anything else, right? Uh, we don't want um, to just go overboard. But however, as Rob said, we're in the ramp up stage. We don't have enough uh, to do all the mission that we need to do. So uh, in my view, I think where we're at right now is the learning phase as far as, you know, how do we really contain? Um, one of the things I've also heard about software factories, uh, in fact, from folks that work at the software factories is, um, they could be getting uh, demand to the point where they that loses the purpose of like quick delivery, right? So that's why it's important to have some sort of standard 
uh, and not, uh, it's sort of an agile standard is what I, how I would put it. Cause we don't want to curtail their progress either, um, for them to be able to, uh, make sure that they're able to do their mission without getting taxed. So that is really, uh, but Rob, incredible job. We are so, uh, honestly lucky to have Rob as the software, um, uh, chief software, um, officer, and he's been in the department for so for a long time, um, and that may be a new title, but he's done this for years and years. So we're very lucky to have him. Yeah, I'll just add, you know, so just to, for the perspective of the a lot of the community that may not have been so intimately familiar with where the software factories stand today, there's not a single type. Um, you know, some of these factories are, you know, when it's tied to a specific weapon system, like the F-15, F-16, B-52, uh, B-2, B, uh, you name it, right? Uh, the Air Force has done it on their weapon system side, done amazing work. Um, so, so they're moving into hardware in the loop testing that's, that's geared towards those partic uh, particular weapon systems. They're uh, incorporating... Uh, model-based system engineering approaches, uh, digital twins. And so you can start to see these pipelines become more and more tailored to the particular, in this case, weapon system. And, and that's only accelerating their ability to continuously update those platforms uh, to get new life out of um, platforms that, quite frankly, many of them older than I am, <laughs> you know, that are still, still operating. And, and they're continuing to now drive um, continuous new capabilities. So it's fascinating to see even with these really old legacy systems like a B-52 or, or F-16 type of uh, F-15, you know, those, those platforms have uh, been around forever and now they're getting a uh, new life. Um, we also see, you know, there's several uh, software factories that are working for sort of the standard, uh, what we consider a web-based uh, business system sort of delivery and how do we optimize and so uh, optimize that infrastructure so there's a lot of uh, quick applications we can deploy, um, either web-based or mobile-based apps. Um, and then there's some factories that are focusing just on the innovation pipeline. So how do we extend uh, and work with non-traditional and small business partners uh, that may have innovative ideas, but in the past was very difficult for them to break into you know, a, a, D, a full DOD system development. So some of these factories are, you know, out in uh, commercial spaces. They're easy, easily accessible. They have uh, within their CICD pipeline um, uh, information about what the department really needs and can take these new ideas and, and see what works and then give a pipeline that can go from uh, proof of concept, a you know, quick proof of concept to the next phases in a fail fast sort of model and continue to escalate it uh, up into the production system if it continues to show value along along this path. So it's it's fascinating to watch both the sort of the incorporating these concepts for how do we modernize everything from really old legacy systems to uh, their next generation AI systems to how do we use these pipelines and these factories to drive continuous innovation with non-traditional partners. So it's a, a fascinating ecosystem that's starting to evolve. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, this exciting time in the, in the software space, obviously. 
It really sounds like it. I don't think I've heard someone say that we need more software factories, but that's exciting to hear. <laughs> yeah, if, if we named if we named it, um, uh, uh, you know, DevSoft. Uh, no, that's too technical. Like modern platforms, right, right. or something like sure. that. Like, yeah, yeah. what's this is already like? Innovation like is it a software like factory? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, innovation there you platforms. Go. There right? you go. Like, right, resilient, secure innovation platforms. There you, there you go. go. That's that's it. Yeah. That's a good, I mean, yeah. th this all evolved organically, right? Around um, you know some of the players that were recognized that the department could do better. That we had to learn from how is how are the most advanced commercial industries approaching this challenge? Recognizing uh, the world is changing faster than ever. We have a pacing threat with China. We have an immediate threat with with Russia. Um, and other adversaries, we need to stay ahead. And, and this is really the, the, the approach, the technology, the, uh, the, the processes that we see uh, disrupting commercial industry. And if the Defense Department doesn't move that way, we're likely to be disrupted as well. So there's a, a sense of urgency on, on how we need to move uh, in these directions. We are... Um, you know, we're learning on the way with our commercial partners and, and our allies as we move forward. And uh, now really exciting time. So I have one more question for you both before we wrap up here. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, how can all of DOD take these modernization lessons from software factories and the military departments, cloud adoption, DevSecOps to become more nimble and agile for JADC2 implementation, which is obviously a very big priority for you guys. Yeah, and I think that translates, uh, in my view, to how does the department modernize and speed capabilities to a need um, and uh, keep it secure? Um, JADC2 is literally joint uh, command and control. So doing joint command and control, that is what we do today. Uh, but how do we uh, make it more seamless? How do we uh, expand the reach uh, globally uh, where information is flowing from one end to the other seamlessly without having to traverse back to uh, CONUS? Tactical Edge, which Rob and team are uh, aggressively working. Um, how do how do we do this in a way that we're bringing the workforce along? We need the people, right? Um, so we have challenges. I think we talked about all the enablers today um, in our interview, and earlier we've talked about um, JWCC in general and other uh, cloud platforms and the software modernization initiative that we're doing. But really, um, in order for us to be able to implement one, we need partnership with not just internal to DOD, which Rob um, explained really well with our ANS and R&E partnerships and, and others within the department, but also with our industry partners, as you see, the CS, not just with the CSPs, but across uh, the DIB, uh, Defense Industrial Base, and, and our federal partners, because really this is what we do also impacts them, but also we're in the same boat um, to, in order, you know, our national security and economic, economic security are uh, tied together. So this is a national uh, matter. Um, and um, so I really believe all the enablers that we're 
starting to bring to bear with cloud and software, modern software, uh, DevSecOps. All of these are the backbones and the foundational uh, capabilities that we need in order to uh, bring capabilities to to speed at speed at scale and uh, secure. And I'm sure Rob will. Add to that. Yeah, I mean, those are, I mean, absolutely correct. And, uh, um, you know, as we're moving forward now, and I, I described from the set of programs that are at the sort of what we call cutting edge, and how do we continue to expand that? So we're engaged with, uh, you know, our partners in the build up CIOs, uh, engaged with our partners in DISA about how do we move um, from that being cutting edge to that being common practice. You know, the department is huge. Uh, people, I don't think very many people realize actually how complex it is. A, it's a large ship to steer, and it, does, it, it tends not to be uh, as responsive as we'd like. So we definitely have a lot of work to do to, um, uh, to continue to improve the technology, uh, to, to continue to adapt our, our legacy processes and policies to those that uh, are better suited to the world we need to operate in. We need to look, uh, rethink how we're making investments to move from investing in uh, single programs to investing in common infrastructure and in, in software factories in uh, enterprise services. I mean, these be, are becoming the linchpins of how the modern world and modern military need to operate. I think we're also... The engagement with our industry partners, and so you know, we're working with CISA and and with the, the our federal partners as well on, you know, changing our software supply chains not just internally but with our industry partners. So implementation of secure software development frameworks, implementation of SBOM. Uh, this is a journey that's not just that not just the department's undertaking, but our. Commercial partners have to undertake it with us as well. We have so long uh, focused on the production and operation side of things, and we didn't care so much about how was the software developed either internally or from uh, our commercial partners that were delivering software. Uh, the, the, I think the threat model has changed. I think our adversaries are going after the supply chains in ways that, uh, we weren't originally prepared for. Uh, I think the the executive orders and the the direction from the White House is spot on. That's moving industry and, and maturing, not just uh, you know, like I said, internally, but uh, this engagement model and supply chain um, improvements that we're we're working with our our commercial partners as well. So uh, it's a lot of change. Uh, we, uh, we we wanted it yesterday, uh, but it's. Uh, it's uh, we'll continue to push. We'll continue to push in these directions to continue to modernize our our, our delivery approaches, to modernize our, our software supply chain, our engagement with industry, uh, and our engagement with uh, the joint staff and our the our military uh, departments as we as we move the, the the entire Department of Defense and our intelligence community uh, forward. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for this interview. Thanks for taking the time to talk about all these topics and. Yeah, I hope you guys have a great rest of the conference. Yeah, thanks. You too. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, 
head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.